This is Sheena Engel with the Digging Deeper podcast and ForConstructionPros.com. Today we have Andrew Rawson from Trayland to talk about sexual harassment training in the construction industry. Um, Andrew, can you begin by uh, talking about Trayland and what you do there and how you serve the construction industry? Sure. Thanks, Sheena. Um, we started, uh, it's actually Trilliant, it's the contraction of training and compliant, but uh, that's okay, oh. everyone everyone kind of does that, so no problem. <laughs> but we started Trilliant in, um, uh, in 2016 with the fundamental concept that nobody learns from boring. And we wanted to, to kind of shake up the staid, old-fashioned compliance training industry by making stuff that was interesting, engaging, and ultimately effective in changing people's behavior. In the construction industry in particular, we, we decided that that was one of the core industries we wanted to focus on making sexual harassment prevention training, um, particularly for the construction industry, because it's got some unique characteristics about it. Um, one of them is that there's these longstanding stereotypes that you know most people are familiar with from walking by construction sites, um, to that it's a... Um, you know, a heavily, traditionally heavily male industry, but that's changing. Um, but what was interesting is our research showed that there's actually no hard evidence we could find that sexual harassment is more prevalent in the construction industry than other industries. Um, you know, certainly people that work in the, uh, uh, you know, in, that are not in the field, that the, office, that the office environment is similar to most other types of office environments, but it, it does tend to be a mostly male industry. So we wanted to create videos that were a little more modern, that were set in construction settings on construction sites and use construction lingo, um, but also that, um, um, that showed a more modern workforce with a, not an equal mix of men and women, because it's not quite there yet, but a, um, a modern representation of mix between uh, you know, men, and, men and women in the training itself. That's a really interesting point that you make. I think that a lot of people do sort of, you know, buy into the stigmas about um, construction job sites and, you know, the wolf whistling or whatever. And I think it's interesting to know that those stigmas can be wrong, that you don't necessarily see harassment being necessarily more prevalent in this industry than in others. No, we don't. We we see that the, 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 um, the that misbehavior is just so public, and we think that's what's influenced people's opinions. Um, but it doesn't seem to be more prevalent than in other industries. And we do think that just through a you know social awareness and in the, in the Me Too era, the post Harvey Weinstein era, that uh, um, workers are more um, uh, uh, are more sensitive to their 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 public manners than is than has traditionally been the case. Mm-hmm. And um, now, I do want to. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I also want to talk about why it, why it's just it's particularly uh, uh, important these days for uh, owners and managers in construction to pay attention to the um, the sexual harassment laws and discrimination laws and their own policies as well. And um, the first point is that that in the last really twenty four months, um, California, New York, Connecticut, Illinois. And uh, Maine and Delaware have either implemented or modified existing laws requiring sexual harassment training in virtually all, uh, virtually all employees. And in those six states, with California, New York, and Illinois in particular, there's, there may be as much as 25% of all the workers in the nation now 
are covered by a required sexual harassment training law. So the first thing that people need to know about is that um, there may be a legal requirement at the state level. Other states have even passed requirements or regulations that if you're doing business with the state, you need to abide by the state sexual harassment laws. So anyone uh, contracting in the public sector might find themselves having to comply with these laws, and you don't want to find yourself submitting a bid uh, due the 31st of the month, and then you find out there's some requirement that you certify that you've trained everybody, and you haven't done that yet. Um, so those are a couple of important legal reasons that people need to pay attention to training. And then, of course, um, uh, should there be a problem and should there be any type of complaint, it's important that people understand that filing a complaint with a state or federal agency that someone has been subjected to sexual harassment or discrimination in your organization, um, it's like filing a wage complaint with the Department of Labor. Uh, the, the person that claims they were uh, subjected to this does not have to go hire a lawyer and file a civil suit. Uh, they simply stage a complaint and the state will, the first thing they'll do is pick up the phone and call you and say somebody came in and said that they were harassed in your office and uh, we want to come down and talk to you about it. So it can be very, very expensive to defend these claims and having effective modern training is a good way to make sure that you're, um, um, you're minimizing the chance of these, uh, uh, these claims in the first place. And now you've mentioned, you know, you've mentioned the importance for this sort of sexual harassment training and having good guidelines in place for your company, as well as some of the risks. Were there any other risks that you wanted to talk about with regard to not having adequate sexual harassment training for your company and for your employees? Well, I, I think the... the it really it varies by um, what sector a contractor serves. You know, certainly for public center contractors, they mentioned you know they jeopardize their their good standing um, uh, to uh, uh, be awarded bids. Uh, residential contractors run into the problem of the court of public opinion. Um, the the legal fines and penalties for not complying with uh, the required training are not typically so onerous, but the uh, um, the court of public opinion can be, uh, you know, which is now social media, can be unforgiving, and that can be a very expensive place, you know, once a charge is made against uh, a contractor that they that they tolerate sexual harassment, it can be very difficult to put that uh, that toothpaste back in the tube. And then for um, commercial contractors that contract with, you know, real estate developers in the real estate industry, uh, you know, no one wants to be involved with, with a business that's been labeled at, at any type of, uh, uh, that's been labeled toxic. You know, oh, this is the place where they, uh, you know, they have those wild parties or they, they, they've got all kinds of claims pending against them. So regardless whether they're, they're, they're public, private, uh, commercial, all contractors really have a um, uh, have to be concerned with the reputational risk of uh, uh, not complying with the laws or having a uh, um, a charge of sexual harassment filed against them. Now, what would you say are some of the other benefits of you know having a company that is really up on sexual harassment training, where your employees are very aware of? you know, what proper behavior is, what improper behavior is, what would you say some of the benefits additionally are for just running a company that is a good, safe, compliant area for all employees? Well, one thing that we've seen in the last couple of years is that 
people going to work in organizations today uh, because the job market is so tight. Uh, and of course, this is not you know monolithic. Not everyone has this concern, but many, particularly people that are that are uh, new to the workforce, really care about the um, uh, the tone from the top in the companies they're joining. They want to work for a place that is uh, that's a respectful, nurturing, uh, uh, compliant environment, and they don't want to go to work for something that's the wild west. And people ask about that in the interview process. Uh, I think it's important that people know, and particularly managers and, and business owners know that uh, it's it's also not as simple as simply just uh, uh, you know buying some training and 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 you know having buddy uh, everybody take some training that. They really need to know that um, to be able to deliver those benefits of having a uh, you know a modern uh, uh, company with a positive work environment where people want to come to work as new hires and people want to come to work every day when they're there is that uh, the job number one of management is to set an example in word and deed. Uh, everything is driven by that. Um, uh, by the tone from the top, uh, the best training in the world will be completely undone if they see their manager or the company owner misbehaving, um, and that those can be you know subtle things too. It doesn't have to be the most uh, uh, headline-grabbing behavior; um, just the subtle things, um, you know, tolerating um, the sexual comments from people during meetings and not saying anything. You know, if they if the boss sees something, they need to say something. Uh, those are the two most important things that uh, um, get the company off in the right direction. And then um, the other thing they need to do is make sure that they're not rolling out the same old DVD from 1987 uh, uh, <laughs> because we found in our surveys that it really does undo the, um, um, the positive message because the subtext is, I know I told you how important you know, sexual harassment was to me, but it's so important, I'm actually rolling out the training that we've used for the last, you know, 17 years. So that's the other thing that we found has been a, uh, um, it's kind of undermined what the, um, uh, the positive environment that people say they're trying to build. So you really have to have that comprehensive approach. But when they do, they do end up with an organization that is more welcoming, more open. People tend to they have less turnover. It's it's all the things that uh, um, that business owners sometimes complain they don't have, and this is one uh, small but important thing they can do to help create that positive work environment. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that you know one of the first things that we look at today when we're looking for a job, um, especially if a company has a website, is we really will research company culture and. Um, it's a really good point that it's not a one and done, that it's something that needs to be updated and comprehensively reviewed on a regular basis instead of just having that same sort of training DVD that you use for years and years and years when someone is hired. No, as I mentioned, when we started Treliant, one of the things we wanted to do was make sure the training wasn't boring. But the other thing we realized is that because people have to take it every year, and, and listen, we have one of those products that um, uh, if people didn't have to buy it, they wouldn't buy it. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, uh, but for the most part, you know, it's compliance training. People have to take it. So that's why we committed to creating a new version of the course every year with new videos, new graphics, uh, so that it does reinforce that tone from the top that, hey, we're serious about this. You know, look, this is new. This is modern. Hey, we took it last year. Hey, it was great the first year. Wow, it's completely different this year. So that's uh, um, we're 
we're part of the solution, an important part of the solution, but only part of it. And now at Treliant, you know, in, in your training sessions, what are some of the most frequently asked questions or maybe some commonly held misbeliefs that you and your team tend to encounter? Um, the most commonly held um, misbeliefs are that uh, um, people think they know it all. Just give me the test. I don't need that. I, I know this. And the most terrible behaviors are common sense. Yes, do not put your hands on someone that doesn't want to be touched. Right, that's pretty common sense. But people don't know what the laws are around nicknames. Just because the person using a nickname and the person um, who's being called that name both like it, it's possible that a third, a, a third party can be offended. Um, somebody who's been called a skinny their entire life, whether they are or not isn't important, but uh, that's their nickname and they like it. Well, someone else had a problem with uh, um, you know, bulimia in their family and they find that offensive. So people think nicknames, as long as both parties are okay, um, using it are okay, and they're not okay. Um, people think that they uh, um, that if, as long as they're talking amongst themselves, and if somebody else happens to overhear a conversation of a sexual nature, that that's permissible. Well, it's not. Um, people say that um, um, probably the most the biggest problem we hear from people about uh, the modern environment is they say, you can't ask anybody out at the office. You're going to get arrested. I'm going to lose my job, which isn't true. Um, you're allowed to ask somebody out once because any um, sexual overture or anything of that nature has to be unwanted. And until you ask someone out politely once, you don't know whether it's unwelcome. Um, people are awful confused about offsite liability. They don't realize that if they're not on company property or a company job site, that as long as it's a company-sponsored event, going to a conference, that they're covered by the, uh, the company's policy and the laws. And uh, people don't realize that, that in many states there's personal liability. It doesn't just run to the company. So there's a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of things that people think they know that it turns out they go like, and maybe one of the most satisfying things we hear about our training is people say like, you know, I actually learned something. Um, and perhaps the biggest thing that people um, don't know how to do properly is how to intervene should they witness an incident. Um, you know, we are not... Um, 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 we're not blind to the fact that if Harvey Weinstein took our training, it's unlikely that it would have changed his behavior. But we do realize that there were many people that came forth after Harvey Weinstein did that said, you know, I was aware of his behavior and I'm kind of embarrassed I didn't say anything, I didn't speak up. So we make a point of we have a whole episode in our training where we teach people about bystander intervention. And if you're the most senior person in the room and you see something, it's easy. You tell somebody to stop it. I see me in my office. But what if you're the most junior person in the room? How do you intervene if the boss is misbehaving? It's not, you're, you're not going to, and no one expects you to, you know, intervene at the time. But there's other techniques, all of which we teach people how they can intervene on behalf of their, their colleagues um, should they witness an act of sexual discrimination or sexual harassment or discrimination. Um, and that's a, uh, um, there were a lot of questions, but you know, how can people help? And now we, we teach that as a, uh, probably about 20% of the course is focused on that now. You know, I think that is an excellent point. And obviously, you know, the, the reliant training and any sexual harassment training would be aimed at everyone. However, some of the more predatorial or egregious offenders, I guess, maybe would not be affected so much by training, but those around them 
that would need to understand how to deal with someone like that and what to do if they saw like a Weinstein level of, you know, abuse of power or, or egregious offense, you know, what they would need to do in that case. That's a really, really good point, how the training can be really applicable to all of us, anyone who works in a group setting. Yes. And the other thing that we know is effective, there's, there's been studies for 50 years, if not longer, that say that the, the severity of, of punishment doesn't deter crime, but the assuredness of getting caught does. And so maybe, so someone that might, that might be engaging in, you know, this type of terrible behavior, if they think that they're going, if there's a chance it's overheard, they're going to be turned in, they're less likely to misbehave if they think that everybody's united in um, uh, being willing to speak up when something uh, uh, when something happens, so it it is it's it's much more than a um, you know a one on one training. And here's the key thing about sexual harassment training: it's not skills based training. It's not it's not how to safely use the demolition hammer, right? And that's easy. You train somebody on how to use a piece of construction equipment. And they can take a test and they can demonstrate that they know how to use it safely because it's skills based training. We're doing behavior based training. And when it comes to sexual harassment, it's not what you know, it's what you do. Absolutely. And I think that is a great point to end my questions on. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add before I let you go? Um, no, just that I think it's great that the, um, um, that the indus industry press is focusing on this because going back to the first part of the conversation where, you know, typically, uh, um, you know, public behavior of construction workers was kind of just accepted as uh, uh, that's the way things are. But the fact that, you know, your um, um, publication is, is writing about this now and your readers are interested in it is just a great sign that um, uh, we still have a long way to go, but I think we've come a long way as well. You know, I think it's something that our readers not only need to learn about, need to read about, need to hear about if it's a podcast, but also I think it's something they want to learn more about and want to know just how they can make their companies and all of their employees, you know, safer and better trained all the way around. Yes, I, I agree. Um, I, I agree. And, and it's, um, here's, the, here's the other irony of, uh, of, of online compliance training. It's frequently more expensive to pay the person while they're taking the training than it costs to use the training itself. Yes, exactly. So it's, re it's really it's an inexpensive insurance policy. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was, again, Andrew Rawson from Treliant uh, on sexual harassment training in the construction industry. 